Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer, and Arsenal in particular. This week, we're covering the first UEFA Europa League match against Zurich. Hi, Keith. Hey, Dove. Got your first European experience this week. Yeah, it was it was interesting for, for multiple reasons. I mean, for one thing, we had the Premier League match that was supposed to happen on Sunday canceled. Uh, we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, I also had some streaming fun uh, trying to watch the replay of the Europa League match. It was my first time using Paramount Plus to watch that. So that was fun. Um, do you want to touch a little bit on the uh, on the cancellation first? Sure. Although, well, first, first thing, just since you threw it out right there in the beginning, we'll have to talk pronunciation. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> UEFA is actually pronounced UEFA. Ah, okay. It's actually treated as if it's a word. So you'll hear them say that throughout the broadcast, the UEFA Europa League. Okay. That is the, I believe it is the United European Football Associations. Okay. And they're the, they are the group that governs, that governs inter, any sort of international soccer uh, in in Europe, uh, the the U.S. is part of a group called CONCACAF, which is the same thing for North America. So all, each of the continents has hmm. their own uh, confederation. Okay, well, thank you for holding me to account on that. I appreciate it. I always am scrupulous with my pronunciation wherever I can be. So thank you. Uh, that's what that's what we're here to do is to learn things. <laughs> yep. So what was the deal with the cancellation that seemed to happen kind of last minute? So obviously, as as I'm sure everyone has heard by this point, uh, Elizabeth, the, the Queen of, of Great Britain, the United Kingdom, uh, died uh, actually on Thursday, as it turns out, during the, the Arsenal match. Those of you who were watching, uh, they held a moment of silence uh, at halftime, or at least I should say it was announced during the game. There was a moment of silence held at the start of the second half. Oh, OK. Interesting. My my stream that I watched uh, the replay of it did not include that at all. So I didn't know that. So the armbands came out after halftime. Is that it? I, I don't recall seeing them after halftime. I think all it was is the teams came out. They they stood by the center circle. There was a message on the board. I believe there was a moment of silence. Uh, and and then what happened going forward is out of respect for the, the Queen's passing, the league, the football association who governs soccer in all of England decided to cancel Every game for that weekend, oh, okay, all of them were canceled, uh, including all, even down to apparently it was a youth tournament canceled. They canceled every level of the sport. Wow, uh, for this past weekend. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah, and that necessitated. I believe Arsenal was set to host Everton on on the weekend on Sunday. That game will have to be rescheduled probably sometime after the new year. And then just announced uh, earlier today. Uh, Arsenal was set on Thursday to play PSV Eindhoven in the second game for the uh, the Europa League group stage. And that game has since been postponed because they're worried about having enough police presence at the Emirates in London, given how much is going to be required around uh, wherever the Queen is lying in state and where the public uh, events are happening tied to her funeral. So... Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting mess. There are some speculation about when that game will be rescheduled. I believe they're looking at uh, in mid-October, uh, which would be the same day Arsenal is scheduled to play Manchester City. So that's another game that would have to be rescheduled uh, until sometime after oh, the new boy. year. Yeah. Okay. So it's, yes, it's going to be a bit of a mess. Uh, and there's some question about the weekend, although what they officially announced was that Arsenal will play at Brentford on Sunday. Uh, Brentford is on the is part is also in London, so they're dealing with some of the same problems. 
but they are going to play the game. They're going to move it up earlier in the day. Now, I know for you, who doesn't watch the games live, that won't make a difference. For me, who gets up to watch the games live, that game is now starting at 6 a.m. local time for me on Sunday. Ooh, so, ouch. Lovely. It yeah. does happen a couple times every year. That's this is this is this is the deal we make for for watching like this. <laughs> right. And circling back to the armbands for a minute, what I will say is um they were wearing armbands. So uh since you didn't have the opportunity to watch the the whole match carefully, I know f- watching it from beginning to end, the commentators mentioned and now they have the armbands. I noticed the players wearing them. I noticed Arteta wearing one. Um I just assumed watching this a few days later when the Queen's death was something that I'd been aware of for days and took for granted, I thought they were pointing it out at that point. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't realize that they had just put them on probably at halftime. I figured that they must have been wearing them earlier and it just was unremarked upon until then. So Yeah, no, I assume that's a halftime thing. Um, So so for people who don't know it. For people who don't know, as I was watching the game, the game, of course, taking place in the middle of the day on a Thursday, I was at work. And so watching the game on silent in my office. Sure. Which hopefully no one who I work with was listening to this anyway. <laughs> at least none of my supervisors were. If, if you'd like, we can edit that out. That's OK. Uh, but no, no, no. I mean, it, 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 it's fine. I'm, I'm kidding about that. But yeah, so I, I there were parts, I, things I did not quite get a good a good view on, including black armbands. Right. Yep. That makes sense. Um, gotcha. So, um, so let's begin with some follow up from uh, from past episodes. So, for one thing, I, I understand everything we talked about pertaining to the transfer windows and why there are transfer windows. the The thing I don't think that we touched on is how many are there and why would there be more than one. Uh, so, there's there are just the two of them. Uh, they, there's the big one is in the summer, which runs essentially from the end of the season until sometime around the start of the season and that date has been variable the end date the closing of the transfer window has been variable covid the last few years has really you know adjust made a lot of things adjust as well then the second one is essentially the month of january from january 1st to the end of the month and the reason you have two of them is that teams like an opportunity midway through the season to make additional adjustments um Sometimes it's bringing players in. We want to. We notice weaknesses in the team. We want to reinforce them. Mm-hmm. Other times it's players who want out. That that point in the season, you start to realize I'm not going to get a lot of games. The manager doesn't see me as part of the, the plan. And so, if I want to play, I need to go somewhere else. Sure. Okay, and that's a much shorter one. You said it just just the just the one month. Right. Okay. Um, the, the next thing I wanted to touch on. So, uh, listening back to the prior episode after I had watched the Europa match, I was optimistic about the Paramount plus viewing experience through Apple TV plus or Apple TV channels, not Apple TV plus, which Apple names too many things with, uh, Apple TV in the name, but no. So the Apple TV channel for Paramount plus, I presume would have let me watch the game live as easily as I had described <laughs> when we recorded. But when I went to watch it after the fact, not only was it not in my list of stuff to watch like I had hoped it would be, but I couldn't even find a way through the TV app to find the game at all. (laughs) I had to download the Paramount Plus dedicated app, which I'd never had to use before for anything else I wanted to watch. And then in there, I was able to search through and find it and 
start watching it, which then added it to the TV app. It still tracked the progress of it in there and could even play it in there. So it is somehow in there. It was just not easily discoverable. And when you try searching for, I'm going to try and pronounce this right now, UEFA Europa League matches, because they have all of them on there. It'll, it treats it like one TV show where each week, each match is like episode one, two, three, four, five through however many matches there are that week. And then the next week is the next series of them. So it's, it's not easy. <laughs> and it's probably, I'm probably just going to have to start in the Paramount Plus app. The other thing is I, I've dunked before on the Peacock app that I don't like the app. It is not a good platform citizen. It's not a great experience using the app. That was all describing everything up until the point where you're watching the match. And as long as you don't try to fast forward or rewind during the match, if all you're doing is letting it play and occasionally pausing it, if that's all you're doing, it's fine. It was great. Where Paramount Plus really fell short, and this applied whether I was streaming it through the Apple TV channel or through the Paramount Plus app. I tried both. It was not a good quality video stream, and I don't know if that has to do with maybe the equipment available in Switzerland. I don't know if that was just CBS Sports. I don't know what the cause is, and I will definitely be commenting as we watch more of these and I have a frame of reference but it was low quality. It was maybe HD. I'm not even positive it was HD. It definitely isn't 4K. And I don't even know if Peacock is 4K, but I never had any problem with how good the Peacock games look. They always look great. This game was blurry. I noticed motion artifacts as the ball, you'd, no, you'd notice it typically when the ball was traveling through the air over the crowd, like, well, with the crowd behind it, not over the heads of the crowd, but um, on the Z axis of the screen over the crowd. Um when that was happening, there were interlacing artifacts where the ball would kind of disappear every other frame where it was just very, very strange. And it was very frustrating, <laughs> hmm. but I, I toughed it out. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're, you're a survivor like that. <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, I watched it live. I had no issue. I mean, granted, you know, I, I will defer on the technical expertise on this. I had a small screen in my office, but the, the picture was fine. The sound was fine. And I, but that's watching it live. I don't know if that changes at all on the on the yeah. replay. It, it's possible. It's possible it's live. It's also you know I'm watching on a fairly large screen TV that I sit fairly close to, so <laughs> definitely I always do notice picture <laughs> issues. But so, so that wasn't great. But uh, but so I I had some questions about this as as is the 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 procedure for the show. So. My first question is, what is on the line with these Europa games? And expanding that a little bit. So my understanding is there is going to be some type of championship and they're able to win some title, but that it basically amounts to bragging rights, which I guess you could say that's really what's on the line with most sports. Most of the time is trying to win the championship to say you won the championship, although there are the stakes in the Premier League of maybe being cut from the Premier League altogether if you don't perform so well and which league you get to compete in. But why do they care, I guess? Why do they care about which league they're competing in the next year? Well, a lot of it stems from it's it's mostly money. The Champions League is extraordinarily lucrative. Uh, you, you, uh, most of these teams are heavily reliant on what, what they call match day revenue, which is they make money based on holding a game. Okay. So ticket sales, concessions, things like that. And then that is well, not supplemented, it's it's overwhelmed by, by television. 
part of what makes the Premier League such a powerful force internationally is it's the most popular league worldwide. Their television contracts are the largest, and so they make the most money. Champions League games are also substantially bigger uh, because you're dealing with the biggest teams, the best players. These are the games that people want to watch. Okay. The Europa League is a bit of a step down, but the benefit to the Europa League is that the winner of the Europa League is automatically in the Champions League for next year, regardless of where you finish in your league. Oh, okay. That's cool. So that's that's the real prize for for the teams that really think they can win the Europa League. I, and, and for a club like Arsenal, that's going to be really important because the Premier League has four spots in the Champions League every year, but they have six teams that could finish in the top four. And so being in the Europa League is a way to sort of hedge your bets to say, well, we might finish fifth, but we won the Europa mm-hmm. League, so we're in the Champions League mm-hmm. next year. Okay. But otherwise, yes, it is a it is a second-tier competition. So Right, right. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but so when it comes to competing in one league or another and the team, the club, is bringing in more revenue, is there typically a share of that revenue with the players? Do they get paid better when they're competing in the higher level? They don't, they don't see that money in the form of a, a cut, per se. What ends up happening is that because the club makes more money, they can spend more money on players. They can provide higher salaries. Or players can negotiate higher salaries because they know they're playing for or or want to sign with a team that is in the Champions League and, and is making that kind of money. Okay. So indirectly, indirectly, indirectly they can right. expect that they might be able to make more, right? Okay. Right. I mean, they have they have a contract, they have a, a a weekly a weekly wage, a salary that they make every week, a game check, and, you know, that that's for the duration of their contract. Now they can attempt to renegotiate that. Really it it happens more in the other direction where there are a lot of contracts have, they call them relegation clauses. So if you're in a club that's at the bottom of the league and gets relegated, you're not going to make nearly as much money in the, in the championship, the second division. And so there are automatic cuts to salaries at that point. And the players know that. Like That's part of the right. fear of going down to the lower level is you are now going to be making less money. And everyone understands that like the club is just not, just doesn't have as much. Soccer, professional, professional sports teams, especially in, you know, these soccer leagues actually operate on very thin margins. They spend a lot of what they take in. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, that's all good info. It's good to keep in mind. It also helps uh, some of the some of the moments in Ted Lasso make a little more sense. Hey, by, by mm-hmm. the way, really quickly, not to make this a tangent, but I finally finished the second season of Ted Lasso this week, <laughs> so I'm caught up on that. And they win promotion. Spoiler alert! I'm. <laughs> and but that but yeah, that but so that sort of excited. adds into it too, right? That when you are promoted, all of a sudden, as a you can spend a lot more in that off season and that transfer window because you're guaranteed a certain amount of money. You know, you're guaranteed a certain amount of money because you will be receiving Premier League television money the next year. Right, and I guess that also makes sense too. If there's a relegation clause in all the contracts, you can spend the money, knowing that if it doesn't work out that season, you're not stuck continuing to spend that money. That that all makes sense. It seems like a good arrangement. Right, and really, where you see that the problem, those financial problems come in, are clubs who think they will be in European competition and don't qualify, or they qualify for the Europa League when they're expecting the Champions League. This was the situation Arsenal was in a couple of years ago. Uh, Josh Kroenke basically came out and said, we have a 
we, you know, we ha- we're paying Champions League wages on a Europa League budget. And there, were, there was a real financial problem for us. Um, the real watchword is, is Leeds United in the early 2000s spent a lot of money on the expectation they would make the Champions League, and then they didn't make it, and they, they cratered financially. They, they just hmm. finally, it took them about almost 20 years. This is a team that's won the, the, the Football League multiple times in the 70s. They were a really proud, successful club. It took them almost 20 years to get back into the Premier League. Wow. That sounds crushing. So that's yes, that's the nightmare scenario. So, Arsenal's probably not going to face that anytime soon, but it does it does make the, yeah. these guys un, a little nervous because there is there is not really a big safety net. Yeah, no, it's uh, that adds another uh, level as you're watching it, definitely. So next question with with Europa League in general, do other leagues have VAR or the equivalent? Do they have review of the referees' calls during the game? Yes, certainly UEFA competitions do. So all the European competitions do. The top European leagues will have it. The real play, the real trouble is when you start getting into second and third divisions, because then it becomes a question of actually having being able to afford the cameras you need to track these kind of things closely. Right. The Premier League has dozens of cameras. They, you know, that's easy. La Liga, Serie A, the Bundesliga, the big leagues, they, they got tons of cameras all over the stadium. UEFA has tons of cameras all over the stadium, but you you step down a level, and that just gets too you know in some cases prohibitively expensive. Oh, but certainly sure. at this at this level, these top European leagues, all of them, you know, uh, just about all of them have VAR in some form. Okay, that's good to know because it didn't end up factoring into this match, so I didn't get the answer later on mm-hmm. because it seemed like all the calls were, or maybe they were just more judicious with its use. <laughs> maybe the calls were about the same. <laughs> You can definitely see it used differently in in Europe. It, that's one of the interesting things about it. I mean, it's 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 soccer, it's Arsenal, but there's always something different about playing games in European competitions. There's different referees. You're in different environments. It's there's something. It, it's amazing how many times you'll see really successful English clubs and really like incredibly talented teams struggle in Europe. There's just something different about playing in that competition, in those environments. And and the refereeing is part of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a minor note, but it seemed like the referees wear the same blue jerseys, the same color in the Premier League match versus the Europa match. Is that the case? Uh, yeah, I think that's a general referees color. Refer- referees are certified by the, the, the local, na- the national association, um, but the basic rules, everybody's operating under the same rule, the laws of the game. Uh, the uniform yeah. conventions are the same. What you'll really see is, you know, black is sort of their typical color, but they'll switch the colors depending on the colors of the two teams playing. The referees will always have, a, a di- the officials will always have a different uniform color than the players on the field. You, you'll be able to tell who the officials are. Right. That's That's what I figured. It was just, it was interesting to me that they were the same between the two leagues and black mm-hmm. would be what I expected. If, if there were black in both leagues, I probably wouldn't have even remarked on it, but it's like sky blue in, in both leagues. That was, that was interesting. And it, and that just helps them stand out, especially because you saw Arsenal was wearing black in this one. So yeah, sure. Oh, that, okay. No, that's true. That makes sense. Um, I also noticed speaking of jerseys and differences between leagues, 
it seemed like, and this is informed also by having gone to Arsenal Direct and and shopping jerseys, but um, it looked like they use a different typeface for the player names on the back of the jersey for the for the other leagues. Like when they're in the Premier League, it seems like the Premier League has everyone using the same Premier League typeface on their jerseys, but then they use the Arsenal typeface when they're playing outside the Premier League. Is that yes? That's is that yes. Correct? That's correct. Yes, that is. So the Premier League, every league has their own sort of standardized uh, font for the the names and numbers on the back of the jerseys. You'll notice, especially you can see the in the Premier League, and a lot of leagues do this, at the very bottom of the number, they'll stick a little version of the logo. It's just another branding exercise. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, for, so for European competitions, or you'll see it when we get to cup competitions, that we have the League Cup, I think is our first games in November. Um, it's the same thing. They'll have this special font, and it's unique to to Arsenal. And you'll see a, a lot of the big clubs will have a special one. Uh, the, the lower, the, you know, the, the top teams will have a special, you know, custom made font that they'll wear for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then, as you start getting down, even the bot, the, sort of the bottom half, of the Premier League, they start to look pretty standard. It's it's actually funny you mentioned the logo and the bottoms of the numbers on the jersey backs because. I noticed that early on when I was first watching the matches and I didn't know what it was at first. It took a while for them to show it closely enough that I could tell it was the Premier League logo. Mm -hmm. And then what I actually noticed once I had identified that is my son was wearing his his jersey from playing soccer last fall. His season is just starting now for this fall, but he still wears his jersey every now and then. It's just another shirt in his rotation. But I noticed that they did the same thing. Whatever manufacturer, whoever prints those jerseys, they have their logo. We don't have a league logo per se. But they put their right. logo in the same position at the bottoms of the numbers. And I, I I, must have noticed it before, but didn't know what to make of it and didn't think to ask. It was kind of funny. <laughs> it's Yes, it, it's mimicking it's mimicking what you see on the, the these top leagues. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now I know that. So uh, next question. So there was only one yellow card that I recall, and it was certainly the first yellow card on Kriezu, I think was how it was pronounced. Um, on, on Zurich, on Zurich's team. Right. And so he had slid to get the ball. He slid through the player's path and he did hit the ball. Like he was clearly aiming at the ball, but because he slid in front of where this guy was running aggressively, he tripped the other player and he got a yellow card. Um, I'd like you to add some color to that a little bit because again, it's like going through, okay, gentlemanly conduct, I guess, is it considered ungentlemanly to intentionally break the path to cross the path of a runner. What about that makes it a yellow card? Okay. So yeah, that's, so it, as you watch that, I mean, really the yellow, there's this misconception that yellow cards uh, can or fouls can be avoided because, well, I got the ball. Okay. But it's more than just getting the ball. I mean, he commits, he commits a pretty reckless challenge. He comes in, he clears out. Uh, I think was that, was that Marquinhos? Or, uh, I think he got out, was there out on that side. It was, I, I don't remember the name. It was the guy who scored the first goal, the that player who they made a big deal yeah, about this being his first Arsenal match. Yeah. Right. He, they, uh, he gets cleared out pretty well. Yes, he makes contact with the ball, but he also clearly makes a lot of contact with the, with the player. Uh, comes in very hard, uh, especially with the guy running at full speed uh, that way. And, and if you notice when, he, when he's, after the foul's committed, he just walks away. The referee shows the yellow. There's no reaction. There's no attempt to argue. Right. Which players will argue all the time. It, yeah. Right. That to me, as I watch that, and that's just one I think as you start to watch, <laughs> you start to pick up on that distinction. That's one I, I when I, cause I did see that happen. 
I, and I said, oh, that's a pretty that's a pretty bad foul. The referee showed the yellow, and just it, to me that yeah. looked said, yeah, that seems right. Um, so it was clearly I did I think the phrase is violent conduct. Uh, it was clearly a, a an overly physical challenge in that circumstance. He did not need to do it the way he did. It was reckless and. Um, yep. Obviously, Marquinhos wasn't seriously hurt, which is good, but certainly, you know, right. certainly a, a little bit more could have been. Yeah, I think what made it a little bit of a question to me wasn't that he necessarily got the ball, is that you could tell he, his intent, it seemed like my read on his intent was he was aiming for the ball. It wasn't like he was just being a brute and trying to knock down anyone in his path to get to the ball. Like he was surgically, like he really did only make contact with the ball. And I think he made contact with the player after he made contact with the ball. But, but I see what you're right. saying. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. It's just that contact with the ball is not in and of itself, dispositive of a, of a yellow the, right. because of yep. the amount of contact he makes with, with Marquinhos is what makes it a foul and ultimately sure. a card. So next question. So we were uh, an English team playing a Swiss team. Uh, one thing that I've definitely noticed back to Ted Lasso, but then watching Arsenal, watching All or Nothing, the Premier League in general, and certainly Arsenal is no exception to this, is an extremely multinational league. And we talked about that a little bit, how they're just, they're the Premier League in the world. They're the league where everyone wants to play. They're there's the best competition. It's where all the money is. So it makes sense that the Premier League would be multinational. To what degree are other leagues multinational? It, it was a little bit tough to gauge, especially because Switzerland, I believe, is a country that speaks, what, six languages, I think. Are there like six official languages of Switzerland? It's at least four. <laughs> I think it's six. Yeah. So that makes it tough. You can't necessarily even go by the last names on the jerseys. Right. And, and so uh, certainly at the top level, things get more multinational guys have more, you know, clubs have more money. Uh, you know, just looking at Zurich, I pulled up Zurich's lineup. I'm just, I'm just looking through here. I see a number of Swiss players, but I also see Bosnia, Spain, Kosovo, Norway, uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Benin, Germany, Guinea, Serbia, Ukraine, Estonia. So, yeah, I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's a pretty good variety okay. there. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, at the top levels, you, you are getting the best players. Uh, the lower down in these leagues you go, uh, that's when t clubs get exclusively more and more uh, based just on national players. But even then, there's always opportunities for guys. You know, scouting networks are worldwide. So the, you really right. – the leagues are in increasingly multinational. And you know, the Premier League looks a certain way because it draws a number of players. But even somewhere like Spain in La Liga – can be fairly multinational, but it draws a lot of players from South America whose names sure. won't be distinctively non-Spanish because, of course, that's the language they speak. Uh, but, right, you know, right. a, a Spanish team's roster is going to be Spanish players mixed with Argentines and Colombians and um, well, not really Mexicans. And not a lot of Mexicans play abroad, but they're going to be mixed in with a lot of guys from a lot of different places. Yeah, it's so just comparing to my frame of reference, like baseball, right? Like, I think the biggest difference is probably that baseball is just not played in that many countries compared to soccer being a very internationally played sport, probably the most internationally it, it, It's the sport. most, yes. It's definitely the most. Yeah. And so it's like, if what, were, what would you talk about as far as baseball outside America? Like, I'm sure there is some league in Japan and the Dominican Republic, and maybe that's it. And there are probably a bunch of Japanese and Dominican players in those leagues, I, I, I would guess. Yeah, so if, if thinking about that as your point of comparison, the the big difference is 
And this is true also for sports like basketball and hockey. The American League, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, those are the pinnacle. They they are so far ahead of the rest of the world that if you are that good, there's really nowhere else you want to play. Um, with yeah. soccer, though, you have a lot of options. Right, yeah, exactly. So you have great players. I mean, the top five leagues in Europe, if we think of England, Spain, Germany, Italy, and France, I mean, that's that's five countries. Each of those leagues has 20 teams. We're always talking about 100 different teams you could play for, and that's if you're the best. But if you're not quite right. the best, you can drop down a level in terms of countries. You can play in the Netherlands. You can play in Portugal. You can play in Scotland. You can go to Argentina or Brazil. You can go to Mexico. You can go to Japan. You can go to Russia. So you have just so many options. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seems like. So next question about the Zurich match. <laughs> I'm sure you saw after their their goal. I mean, well, actually, maybe we should talk about that first. Um, so their only goal was actually a penalty kick, which I'm really glad we talked about last week. I, I, I knew more about that situation going into it and knew to <laughs> grit my teeth because there's almost no way that they weren't going to get the goal, which is what ended up happening. Would you, would, let me ask you, having now watched having watched that the play and, and the, the call against Enkedia, do you think that was a penalty? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it seemed like it. I mean, I don't think it was. I don't think it was what they would call maybe in the NBA a flagrant foul. Um, I don't think that there was malice in it, but I could tell that he regretted doing it. It seemed like, well, especially once it got called, but he's like, ah, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's always the that you know. Any, anytime a penalty happens, there's always this conversation: was it a penalty? But you watch that. Let's put it this way: that the real marker is always. If that had happened to your team, if that had happened to an Arsenal player in the box, I would have screamed for a penalty. That was a, that is a clumsy mm-hmm. challenge by Enkedia that it was 100% mm-hmm. a penalty. I have no problem with that. And yeah, and you know what to, to the player the that was uh, crazy you, the yellow the guy who got the yellow, to his credit, he he finishes very well. It's a well-taken penalty, you know. Yeah. Turners Turners in no man's land. You you pick your direction to dive and you hope you get it right. Yeah, yeah, no and he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Which and yeah, it's it's tough. I will say, as far as the skill on the kick, I think he he led Turner in that direction with his body language. I think that was a really well executed penalty kick. I think and there, that yes. it was reasonable for Turner to dive in the direction he did. Yes, and there's that there's that mental game within a game, and and some clubs will track. They know right. players will take penalties. They know they like to go to certain sides. They have strong, which is their stronger foot. Hmm. Um, and you'll see them try to use their body language to lean off. Keepers will do that too. They'll wave their arms. They'll they'll cheat one direction or the other, see if they can draw the hmm. the, the shooter to look a certain way. So there's a lot of mind games that go into that. <laughs> but really, and there's even in terms of where you're trying to aim and target. The goal is really to target the corners. It's the furthest points away, not right. high or low. In some cases, low is even better because that's very hard for keepers to get all the way down to get to the ground. Right. Right. Well, yeah, you're clearly aiming where the goalie ain't, I guess, would be. Right. Or you can do, you'll see in some cases, the ideal is to go right down the middle. If the keeper's going to dive one direction, you can go straight down the middle. Sure. Or you get really cheeky. And these are these are so annoying when they happen to you, and they're hilarious when your team does them. It's called the penenka, where you basically chip the ball, <laughs> fo- you chip the ball right down the middle. It's a soft ball. If the keeper doesn't dive, you look like an idiot because he just catches it easily. But if he dives, uh, you sort of 
you see you can see on his face as the ball <laughs> slowly goes in behind him. No. Uh, go look look up. Uh, yeah, go just go look up. Uh, there, you know there. Hundreds of videos on them on, on YouTube. Uh, Panenka, P A N E N K A, Panenka. After what a okay. guy who a player who was famous <laughs> for doing them. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll look that up. I can picture what you're describing. I'd, I'd like to see the video of it. Well, uh, I'm laughing through a lot of this because I'm imagining myself this coming Sunday. I am planning on playing in a recreational match in my town. Um, <laughs> I am told that the league is low on keepers. Um, Goalie is what I used to play when when I played soccer as a kid. So I am planning to step in and try to play goalie. I have not played the sport in 25 years. I coached it last year, and I've started coaching again this year. But um, coaching is certainly not playing, especially when you're when you're with five and six year olds. Um, and yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm taking notes on some of these uh, advanced goalie techniques, which I'm sure I, I will botch in many different ways. Just, just, be, just uh, the the real thing to do is make sure you communicate with your with your defenders that that you know everybody knows where everybody is. Okay, thank you. Noted. So, so I brought up the penalty for for the silly reason of observing in Zurich how crazy the fans were behind the goal. They they were lighting up pyrotechnics. There there were flares going this whole time. I I didn't know what was going on with that, and it lasted. The the original batch lasted a long time, and then they lit up a new round later in the match. I guess is motivation it wasn't celebrating anything and maybe they figured they brought a certain number and they might not see another goal so they better start burning them off i don't know what, what was that do you see that commonly is that something that depending on the stadium depending on the fans that, that they do so th- this is this is one of those this is why european games are so fun because you get used to you know look watching games in england and it, england has a very particular kind of supporters culture it's very familiar to Americans in a lot of ways, especially at the Premier League level, but it is it's still clearly different. You know, if you were to watch an American a game of American football or or basketball or or baseball, American fans do certain things. They chant, they make noise at certain moments. You go to Europe and the environment's a little bit different, especially in England, they sing a mm-hmm. lot. There's different kinds of things. They do, yes. Then you go to the once you go into the European continent, then things get even there. I say they're weirder. They're weirder because even in a few short games, you've already conditioned yourself to, oh, this is what a soccer crowd looks like. No, no, no. This is what an English soccer (laughs) crowd looks like. And on the European continent, things are a little different. Um, Flares are not unusual, uh, especially as you get into Eastern Europe. Things get really weird when you go to Eastern Europe. (laughs) I am so glad that we drew teams in Switzerland, the Netherlands, and uh, who's the other one we're playing? Norway. Relatively familiar. Okay. I mean, you can wind up with games in, you know, Eastern Europe, the former Yugoslavia. Uh, those fans are crazy. Hmm. Um, the things they will say Crazy, crazy sing, in what way? <laughs> uh, the things they will say and sing, the kind of environments, the stadiums are all Soviet era, so they're all falling apart. Um <laughs> They, oh, no. they are it's it the envi- like there's something about the premier league that it's it's very modern like the emirates is it was built in 2006 it is brand new it is it, i've never actually been but it, you know, it certainly looks fantastic yeah. it's a very modern facility yeah. and then you're going to go play in belgrade and it's it's concrete it's falling apart the fans are all there have been there for hours and they're jumping up and down and the stadium shakes like you feel like it might break. Uh, there's a, so it's a they're they're waving flares around. They're the 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 ba- they have these massive banners, some of which are quite profane. 
and uh, some of the things they're saying to you. Uh, the, okay. And and of course, as you get to Eastern Europe, you're, you know, you're talking about some countries that have experienced war. You know, there's a lot of weird sectarian stuff that goes into different rivalries and different fan bases. And this is true. The, the, famously, it's true in Scotland. It's called the Old Firm. It's the largest rivalry in Scotland, the, in Glasgow, the two clubs there. Celtic and Rangers and their fan bases, their histories is all tied up in the the Protestant Catholic conflicts in Glasgow over the centuries. Mm. It is nasty. Hmm. Sounds like a wild place to go be. <laughs> well, some of my some of my earliest exposure to soccer fandom was the, the Mike Myers SNL sketches with Scottish soccer hooligans. Yeah, Scottish soccer. <laughs> Just remember, like like so many things, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. But. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, uh, you know, and, and, and in, the, in Great Britain, there's a long tradition of some of that similar kinds of things or the, what they call the hooliganism, which were basically groups of people mm-hmm. who use the soccer games as a platform to go fight each other in the streets. And a lot of that gets cracked down on in the 1980s and into the early 90s. So you don't see flares in English games, partly because that's just been banned and they take that, the, the league authorities take that very seriously. Oh, okay. On the continent, things are a little looser. I mean, you, and, and there are flares that go off in Spain and Italy. I, you know, so same as some of these major leagues. The fun one I always find to watch is in Germany, which has a reputation of being somewhat staid. If you look at the German fields, the, the fields are surrounded by chain link fences. Okay. To hold the fans in. Ah. <laughs> it's, I mean, some of the top German, some of the, even some pretty big name German clubs, it, you know, and, and as a visiting player, that's, you know, it's, it's not like a video game where it's just background noise. I mean, that has, you know, the fans right. have a real effect on the emotional Afraid for your life of what's a happening. Bit. You know, some of those, yeah. some of those places. Yeah. And that's the point. You're supposed to be afraid. Um, right. It's and, that, and, you know, you're, yeah. and Europe, you know, there was a little bit too, you know, the club in England to really look at for that is Liverpool. Liverpool has won the European Championship, I think, six or seven times. They're the most successful European team in, out of England. And and to go to Anfield, and and there was a bit there in the the All or Nothing documentary where you know Mikel Arteta has them playing their their walk on song. You'll never walk alone. Right. There's something different about going to Anfield. It's a, it's a it's a difficult environment to play in. Even if Liverpool isn't very good, and this year they're struggling, but the last couple of years they've been very good, so it's a, that's a tough place to go. Well, yeah, that was that was a great moment actually when they were talking about that from last season, where it wasn't just playing the walk-on song. I don't think they they had loudspeakers set up on their training field, and they were just blasting like whatever whatever the ambiance is there, just all the that's, that's, screaming that's and that, shouting no, they're, they're, and everything else. Yeah. They're playing that song. The song is called You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh, oh, okay. So it's an American, but it, but it, it's one of those songs that's been covered by many artists, most famously the Liverpool rock and roll scene, which most famously produces the Beatles. Uh, but it's mm-hmm, covered in the, I think in the 60s by a band called Jerry and the Pacemakers. And that version, Liverpool adopted it. And the fans will sing that before the game. And it's... Uh, Oh, okay. I mean, I can't stand it because it's Liverpool, but it's it is very cool to see and hear. Interesting. Okay, so I didn't pick up on that, even though I'm familiar with Jerry and the Pacemakers. I, I overall probably know '60s music better than I know today's music, but I didn't pick up on that. And you'll look up their version, uh, the liver, you know, Jerry and the Pacemakers, a cover of "You'll Never Walk Alone." That's what they play and they sing, and it's. I'm, I'm sure there's there you know thousands of videos of people recording it at games, and it's. You know, it, it, it's an interesting huh. little thing that they're able to do, and it, it really adds to that atmosphere 
And that's all what they're trying to create. Arsenal's been trying to do something similar. They talked about this in the documentary uh, with that song, The Angel, you know, North London Forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't think that one was as good as everyone was saying it was. I, I get why people like it. It's cool like that it was written by a fan, but yeah. Yeah, I get why people like it. I mean, the hard thing is so much of that stuff is done organically. And, and some of them are kind of silly. Like if you go to, to West Ham, their walk-on song is, is – the song's called Forever Blowing Bubbles. And they'll, you'll see this when we go play them. They will have, they will blow bubbles out over the players as they walk onto the right. field. And they, you know, there's okay. something tied into the lore of the club why it, why it's about bubbles. But like, it's kind of a goofy song. Um, Manchester City <laughs> fans like for it. years would sing um, "Blue Moon." Okay, and they would do "Blue Moon," and then for starting in the '90s, they really picked up on "Wonderwall" uh, by Oasis. Okay. Uh, which partly because the, the Gallagher, partly because the Gallagher's, the Gallagher's are Man City fans. Oh, okay. So they're not. It's not even just that they're from Manchester. That they are. Yeah, the Gallagher's are at least one of them is a fan of man, a big, you know, a big fan of Manchester City. And so, and and Wonderwall is Wonderwall is actually a really great example of these kind of songs. They're like they don't really have anything to do with the sports, and they're not like as Americans, especially we're sort of we're, we're conditioned to think of like arena rock. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of like really hard charging. You know the ACDC. I jock mean, they're Australians. The Jock Jams, like that certain kind of style, and yeah. people like that. But it's interesting how these songs get picked up. You know, go listen to "You'll Never Walk Alone." If you hear it devoid of the context, you think to yourself, "What does this have to do with soccer? It doesn't have anything to do with that at all." It's not a sta- <laughs> song you would expect to hear in a stadium, but you play it and you get it in that place, and it's being sung by the stadium. It's uh, yeah. it's something else. Um, just a couple final questions. So I noticed some interesting moves by the defense a couple times. So Tierney had a, at least one, I think maybe two attempts on goal, both which were kind of weak, but he, he had the chance and he took it. Um, in contrast, I noticed Tomiyasu at least twice. He had a clear line with no one in his path between him and the goal and did not, in contrast, take the shot. He passed it to to a teammate, and nothing ended up happening from it. But do you know, based is that personality? Is that just a traditional like a defender wouldn't shoot on the goal? It's not his place, or is that just him in particular? Um, you know, that's one of those because of the way I was watching, I didn't notice anything in particular. It could it could be a couple okay. things. It could be strategic. It could have been he was told to make passes in certain spaces. It could also be, I mean, like you said, it could be a lack of confidence. Tomiyasu is a, is a passer. That's, that's part of what he does. And there are those players who are yeah. pass first, that that's, they're not thinking about shooting. They're thinking about looking for the open man. The other thing it could be, and this is, we, we talked a little bit about this, like with judging the trajectory of the ball. I, I have a lot of trouble with depth perception when I watch soccer games, especially when mm-hmm. the ball goes up in the air. It's, it's really sometimes hard to tell where exactly it is. And then they show a re- you think to yourself, oh, man, that shot almost went in. And then you see a replay from a different angle. And, oh, wait, no, he was never close right. to that. So it could very well be that yeah. what looks to us like, man, he has a clear look on goal. You, you switch the camera angle. Maybe you're behind him rather than from the sideline view. You're behind the goal. And you look and go, oh, yeah, no, that's why you wouldn't take that shot. Right. <laughs> or, you know, maybe the key- he feels the keeper's right there or there's a defender in his space. You know, so there's, there's also that element we don't know. We, we don't see what they're seeing which could be part of it. Well, what I said was true from a certain point of view. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so last question. So, well, and I'll start with an observation. So it was, it was amusing to me 
knowing what you said would happen absolutely happened. And it was definitely, it got, I had the feeling it was their B team that was on, right. It was a lot of players who I hadn't seen before. Most mm-hmm. of their biggest players were not on. I think the most prominent player who was still playing the whole game through was Martinelli. Um, so it was amusing to me that it was clearly their B team, but they were every bit as dominant over Zurich as their A team is over the Premier League teams that I've seen them playing. And I was I was amused by that. And it, it was working well enough for them. They they had mostly maintained the lead and you know so yeah, and Katia gave up that that penalty kick. He ended up redeeming himself with that really nice uh, header that kind of bounced off the goalie up into the goal. Um, but so what that leads me to wonder is why send in the big players at the end? So um, Odegaard went in, um, uh, Jesus went in. A lot of the bigger players that are usually starters in, in their bigger matches went in at the end. Is that because, is it, is it fan service? Do they want to, do they know what the fans want to see them play? So they get to play for a little bit at the end, or is it just locking in the victory, making sure that their best players are either trying to score more or at least not give up more opportunities. What, what plays into that? Uh, it's definitely the latter. Uh, the, the, the idea of the fan service, uh, uh, I can tell you directly that, that any manager who's playing to the fans like that is a manager who's about to get fired. That's, I can tell you that's definitely okay. not happening there. Um, In no uncertain terms, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, the, I mean, the only way you might see that is if you're talking about a game that has no significance and maybe you put, you're putting on someone to give, uh, especially a game at home, give your fans a chance to uh, applaud him. Or, or you'll see it, especially players late in their careers or a player might be about to leave. They'll get subbed off before the end of the game as a chance for the, because they get to walk off there, the center of attention, they get a chance to get a round of applause. So you'll see little moments like that. But in terms of the kind of substitutions Arteta is making, especially in, in, you know, the first week of September, no, that's what, what is happening there. I think uh, is two things. One, like you talked about is, is game flow. Uh, you know, I, Arsenal was, was sloppy. What I saw, which makes sense. You have a lot of guys who haven't played a lot and guys who haven't played a lot together. You know, it's not always just the experience, but mm-hmm. also that chance to have time working with each other. And you could see there were places they were a little off. They didn't know each other very well. We're still working out where right. where each other was supposed to be. Um, but overall, they were playing well. But you look at that scoreline, you saw it. It's 2-1. You know, it, it took a it, – it, all it takes is one slip-up in the box, and all of a sudden they have another penalty. And yeah. Zurich was, was playing well enough that you could be a little concerned. And so – Odegaard, Saka, Gabriel Jesus, uh, you bring in these guys to 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 calm things down, to to settle in the game, and it, it, you know Zurich played well against Arsenal's B team, but let's bring in the top players. This is we're gonna we're gonna shut this game down. We're this game is over. We're done yeah. here. And, and and you did that. They they were able to take rest control of the game. Zurich never really doesn't really threaten for those last few minutes, and they get a run out for no, ten minutes, yeah. and you're sort of a, a secondary piece. You get a run out for 10 minutes. Uh, you know, you are, as much as you want these guys to get rest, you don't want them just sitting on the bench constantly. So it gets them a run out, gets them a few minutes. And it might turn out to be even particularly fortunate because right now Arsenal will have gone 10 days without a game, which is a bit of a, which is a bit of a lengthy time. Um, hopefully that, it, hopefully that Brentford game does go off. But if it doesn't, they have a problem there. All of a sudden their next game is going to be October 1st. Right. Uh, because of the international break coming up at the end of the month. So oh, okay. it should be fine. It shouldn't be an issue. But um, 
that that that's really I think about Arteta really seizing control of the game, and it's nice to have it's nice to have guys like Jesus and Saka on the bench if you need them, right? <laughs> yeah, in, in reserve. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, cool. Uh, I, I enjoyed that discussion, and I learned a lot. And I think I'm going to restrain myself and save some of the questions outside this match for a later show. <laughs> Try and keep it somewhat close to the... As we said, it's a long season. Yeah, so. it's a long season. We'll, we'll get them in. There may be less eventful games. Uh, this is, I had a lot of questions about this one because it was the first Europa match and there was a lot of baggage <laughs> that came along with that. A lot of things I didn't quite quite get. So do you have any additional thoughts to share on this uh, first Europa match? Uh, as I say, it's uh, mission accomplished. It's it's a road game in, in Europe. It's a, It's even against a team like Zurich, which is struggling in Switzerland. They won the Swiss League last year. They have some capable players. You know, once you play the games, you never know. So to go in there with a with a rotated lineup, come away with three points. Um, you know, mission accomplished. Job do- job done. Focus on the next <laughs> one, and it, that's that's what you want to do at this stage, especially as the games start to come fast and furious. We only have uh, we, ha- we only have a handful of games left until the World Cup break. So, right. Well, I think that'll do it. Uh, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we always appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with your friends. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Have a good week, Keith. Come on, you gunners.